0: Welcome back to crazy faith talk. I'm Steve.
1: I'm Sarah. And I'm Erica. So friends, as we approach Lent, we are in our pre-Lent series still, uh, which we usually try to be a pretty lighthearted topic of conversation before we get into the heaviness of Lent. Um, so today we are going to continue our conversations about death, which as we all know, is not heavy at all, which is total sarcasm. Um, So, yeah, but we're still talking about death. Uh, We've talked quite a bit about what do we do to prepare for our deaths? Um, How do we make decisions about um, cremation, burial, organ donation, um, uh, advanced directives and living wills? And what do we do when somebody close to us dies unexpectedly without making all of those decisions? Uh, So where are we going to today?
2: So today, before we even get into our episode anymore, we want to uh, put out a trigger warning that we will be talking about a very difficult subject, the subject of suicide. Um, So if this is a subject that you don't feel that you're ready to handle at this moment, feel free to hit stop and go find something more cheerful and fun and enjoyable to deal with. Um, If you are having issues with suicidal thoughts, please, please reach out to somebody, call 988, um, talk to someone, we we want you here. The world is better with you in it. Um, but that's what we're going to be tackling today is the hard topic of suicide and some of the theology that's happened in church history around suicide for better and for worse.
0: Yeah. I, I appreciate your opening us with that uh, warning at the outset. And Again, I hope folks who are listening um, are aware that with the, I think the beginning of this year or the end of uh, 2022, the creation of the oh, 988 yeah. number that you mentioned that is separate from 911. So this is different from like police cars and ambulances being immediately sent to your address, but immediately is, is focused specifically on um counselors and mental health folks who are specifically mm. trained and geared for dealing with uh folks um considering self-harm. And so it's a safe number to call that uh is is different from nine one one.
2: Um
0: m- maybe we should also name that uh part of what makes this topic so difficult um maybe we, maybe we could say there's a couple ways this is difficult as a subject some are personal and emotional and some are theological and uh maybe we'll need to take a moment to unravel each of those but uh i was thinking of something you mentioned in our last episode sarah about how sometimes in the experience of death especially when it doesn't fit our expected pattern or time frame we find ourselves angry and looking for a recipient of that anger. And mm-hmm. if it is someone who is killed, say, in a car accident with a drunk driver, you get angry at the driver. If someone is um shot in a, a violent mass shooting, you get mad at the shooter or uh, assault weapons or, you know, whatever. And it's difficult because when someone takes their own life... um we have this weird mix of I miss them and I'm mad that they're gone. And you can be both mad at the person and also deeply sad. Why did they feel like? And, and it's, it's the, the emotions themselves become contradictory and hard to talk about because you don't mm-hmm. want to admit that you're mad at the person who's gone. And you also are, don't know if you're allowed to be sad. For, I mean, like it's just such a difficult, difficult place to be. And I think that's part of what makes it especially, um, taboo or difficult to talk about just from a, a relational and emotional level.
1: Yeah, because I, I feel like with with death by suicide, there's there's also a lot more room for anger at yourself. Right. As the person mm-hmm. reading right. of. um, You know, oh, if only I had reached out more, if only right. I had okay. done this, if only if I had done, if only I'd realized. Yeah, because um, mm-hmm. often. Oftentimes, pe- people are really good at masking, especially yeah. once they've made the decision of this is what I'm going to do. And I now have right. a plan.
0: Right. Um,
1: they they kind of have this period of they seem normal again. Yeah. And they're going to do like, you know, again, as they're like kind of saying goodbye to everybody before they actually commit yeah. suicide. Um, so, so it's one of those things that often as somebody who's left behind, there's a lot more space and room for I'm angry at me because right. I wasn't mm-hmm. able to stop this. Right,
0: right, right. But again,
1: You don't like I think it's perfectly fine to be mad at the person who has died, whether uh-huh. suicide or anything else. Like, I think that in the grieving process, all emotions are valid. Um, I just think that we have like there there's there's almost a taboo about like being angry at a dead person because yeah. They're not here for you to beat up anymore, whether, you know, emotionally or physically or whatever. Like, they're not here to be in dialogue with about your anger and your grief. Um, But if you do feel anger at the person who's died, that's okay, too. Mm
0: -hmm. But I think somewhere along the way, we tell ourselves that's not allowed because I'm grieving them so I can't be mad at them. And like, again... As we have said previously in this series, this is a this is an area where there are going to be contradictions in how we feel. And sometimes it's going to be I yeah, exactly like, like you mentioned, Sarah, us beating ourselves up in absence of being able to be mad at the other person or because it doesn't feel very satisfying to be mad at someone who's not there. And maybe this this kind of circumstance is the worst of both worlds of when you lose someone to a long illness where you're left sometimes wondering, could I have done more for their care? And it also brings the terrible shock of the suddenness. I mean, like, when when someone dies from suicide, quite often it is shocking to people around them who were not expecting it. Um, and you're left with a, what, what could I have done differently? In a way that you're not, if someone dies in a car accident, it's not like you're thinking... What more could I have done? Like, you know, those are tragic Mm -hmm. accidents and it's not your fault that somebody else died in a car accident. Again, unless you were the one behind the wheel or something. Um, And that there's so many layers of guilt we might feel as those who survive when someone we love uh, dies from suicide. And
2: Mm -hmm. we mentioned, I mentioned early on that, you know, if you have suicidal thoughts, call 988, find help. But if you're a survivor of suicide, please find help too. You know, seek out counseling. Um, get help from somewhere
0: mm-hmm. so
2: that you don't have to just deal alone with those thoughts of, right? Well, if I would have checked in more, if I would have done this, if I would have done that, right. if I would have said this, um, right. right? You know, you need as counseling just as much as the person who is no longer with you, right? Did when they were still alive.
0: I I so appreciate too that you mentioned Sarah that f- uh, for folks who um, are dealing with suicidal ideation that. um, there can be a difference between um the sort of obvious deep despair and then like sometimes when people get to a point of making a plan and they're thinking very concretely about how their demeanor may sometimes change and that sometimes people talking about the ending their lives or something is um their way of trying to reach out to somebody and it's actually sometimes when somebody looks calm and put together that like it is most serious of all, because they're at the point of this is what I'm going to do. And I'm not going to tell anybody because they would stop me. Um, And that awareness of just because uh, someone who you've been worried about starts acting fine or happy or normal, like don't stop checking in on people. You know, that like this is like, like we talked at the beginning of the series about the importance of communication, about making plans for our funerals and things, which is a lovely and fine lesson. Like, This is this is a reminder to all of us to keep our eyes open and our ears open to neighbors and friends around us, and to keep checking in on on one another because it's a tough world and it's tough to it's tough sometimes to just keep on keeping on in this life. And when people when you see a a marked change in other people, whether to move to be seeming very very depressed or moving out of that to seem very calm and collected, you know, talk with people and don't just oh I assume they're fine or oh no they're always like that. But no, check in with each other.
1: Mm There, um I think one of the many crises that we are facing in the US right now is a mental health crisis. Yeah. Like it's been 3 years now of um since covid started and um I was just reading an article just last night from the recording of this episode um about the difficulties that parents are mm-hmm. feeling right now because of the pandemic and how you know it it's felt like for the past three years that, oh, if I can only get through this season, everything's going to be better. Like whether that was like, oh, if only we just have to hold on until the schools open back up. Oh, we just have to hold on until the vaccine. Oh, we just have to hold on until summer. And, but like, then those like things, we reach those milestones, but then something else happens and it's just as bad. Um, And so, and again, this article was specifically for parents of young children right now but i think that that is often the case for everybody and mental health sometimes um that you know you feel like oh i just have to white knuckle grip until this thing ends whether that's depression or anxiety or whatever and like i just have to hold on i just have to hold on um And it's hard to lift your head up enough to realize this shouldn't be normal. um, And I should ask for help because we often don't like asking for help. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you're white knuckling because you feel like you just have to hold on because you can't lift up your head, you know, please ask for help. Like, that's not how life is supposed to be. And if that is how your life is right now. Ask for help because yeah. there are people who can help, whether it's medical people or even just friends who can help white knuckle with you,
0: yeah. like
1: ask for help.
0: And sometimes I think the the first step, it, it can't ever be the only step, but the first step that goes a long, long way is just that recognition that you're not alone. And that happens in the reaching out to somebody, asking for help and discovering that, okay, I'll be, I'll go through this difficult, dark time with you. Um, And again, that's not to say all you need is just a friend and you can power through depression without, you know, uh, therapy or medication or things like that. But that's, that's a starting point. And so much changes when people realize that they are not alone. Sometimes what it takes mm-hmm. is getting to that very, very difficult, dark place where they feel like they're abandoned and alone, uh, that people come out of the woodwork or check on them. Um, and maybe the a flip side too, is for, for those who find themselves in the role of friend or neighbor or caregiver or something like that. And you're worried about somebody's mental health state, that it not just be a, well, we had one conversation about it now they're good, but like, it's it's don't drop them like a hot potato, but like that, continuing checking in and also being able to be honest, not treating people with kids' gloves, but like yeah, if if you need to talk about that you're feeling like ending your life let let's talk about this, um, not that oh we, we can't talk about it, we can't say it, uh because that'll make it happen, but like we need to be able to talk about. It. Have you made a plan? Is that something that you're are we at that point of that that specific? Are we, no, this is just I'm really really dark place. I don't know what to do. Being able to say those things to somebody, again, I, I hate I hate that this is a cliche, but it's that Mr. Rogers line that what is mentionable becomes manageable. And or mm-hmm. the flip side, what we don't mention, what we are afraid of talking about becomes uh, a barrier to I can't deal with this because I can't talk about it.
2: And Steve, something you just said, you know, we're afraid of talking about it because we think it's gonna happen. And that's usually not the case. (laughs) Right. It's usually the exact opposite. Talking about it helps people from taking that step. Right. Um, Right, right. But we're so afraid of talking, you know, we've been kind of ingrained to think that talking about suicide is going to cause somebody to attempt suicide. Right. Or talking about suicide is going to, you know, or if there's a suicide of a student in a school district, then there's going to be more. right? That is not most times.
1: Right. It
2: happens. But most of the time that is not the case. Right. And we need to unlearn that.
0: Right. Right. And again, by creating spaces and part of the gift that we have as pastoral leaders is that how do we create in our congregations and our small groups and our communities and families like that this is something that people can talk about. Um, And again, if they feel like in a a family, if this is part of the dinner table conversation, if this gets way over the pay grade of the mom and dad or whoever in the family. okay, that yeah. Pastors can be a part of those conversations as well, Mm -hmm. Um, but that. The, uh, yeah, the, the idea then can be each of us then where we are in our circles, if people can, can know that we're people you can talk about, whatever, and I'm not going to run away scared, whatever you need to talk about, we can talk about. That's one way of helping to, to uh, break down that, that engine toward self-harm.
1: And in those conversations, whether you are the person in the depressed state or the friend who's trying to help talk about medical options yeah Mm -hmm. like offer to go with your friend to the er because the er like they know how to deal with uh, like suicidal thoughts right um but offer to like help go with them with those steps because those are so scary but that's a scary step but it's an important step um and i think that we as religious professionals should say this as often as possible but it is good to seek medical help in these situations. Yeah. Um because I think that there's enough religious voices who have said throughout history the opposite. History, <laughs> the opposite. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. like my grandparents' church, they like I remember being very young and somebody had um had committed suicide and the discussion wasn't you know, oh, they were in such a dark place. Like, I wish they had gotten help. It, like, but the, the discussion was they didn't pray hard enough. Yeah. And yeah. like, I like, I was really young, mm-hmm. so like, I, I, it wasn't until later that it made me think that's not how mm-hmm. depression yeah. works. Yeah. Um, I am a firm believer in prayer. I am a firm believer that God walks with us. Um, I do not think that you can pray away depression right. or anxiety mm-hmm. or poor mental health. You, right. Prayer is good, yes, but it is not the magic pill that will make your right. mental health better.
2: Right. 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 It is a
1: help. It is an aid, but it right. is not the solution, or at least mm-hmm. not the solution by itself.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah. And it, it, I, this is this is maybe gets at something you're naming earlier that while we're not great as a culture at dealing with mental health, man, we certainly recognize if you go to the emergency room with a bleeding arm or um, in atrial fibrillation, <laughs> there are medical solutions and people there don't think it is a moral failing. Well, did you pray hard enough to make the bleeding stop? No. like So clearly, Christianity has wrapped its head around bodily physical injury it's okay to pray for healing and then to get stitches that like to acknowledge the same is true with mental health as well that it is good and wonderful to pray and to have the wide support of your church family or your spiritual community and also yeah go to the emergency room or call 988 or whatever and I'm so glad you mentioned Sarah that if you're in the role of friend or accompaniment or family member or whatever, and the question is, okay, is it someone I care about has talked about suicidal ideation and they're at the point of, yes, they're open to getting help. What's my next step? Well, it could be 988 or it could be if we are really, really close to the brink of things. Yeah, emergency room and let's talk and they've got the connection. So where do we go from here and to not have to face that alone, especially when Emergency room visits often include a period of waiting when somebody might be tempted to then say, well, this is going to wait a while. I'm I'm chickening out or I'm backing out or this is too scary. I don't want to face this. If someone is with you through that, it's okay. This is not going to be easy, but I'm going to wait here with you. And that that's exactly where you, your presence, you don't have to be an expert in medical stuff. The doctors will do that part, but you're not alone in this. And I will go through this with you. My goodness, that is such a huge, huge step for people. Yeah. Maybe it would also be worth unraveling a little more of what you have both begun to name, that while we hope that uh, the Christian faith offers deep comfort and hope for people in times of uh, considering self-harm, we have a lot of baggage of centuries where the church was not helpful and, in fact, caused added harm. Um Mm-hmm. And maybe it should be named out loud and maybe this will be sort of a rough lesson in church history and scholastic medieval theology. But there was a long time in Christian history, in Western Christian history, at least officially when in the medieval church, um, the assumption was if you took your own life, if you died from suicide, you were automatically condemned to hell. That's where Dante has the people who've committed suicide in the wood of suicides in his famous inferno. Um, because the thinking was, the way you got forgiveness from sins was you had to go to the sacraments of absolution and forgiveness. You had to be uh, forgiven, have that meted out by a priest, and then to have sins wiped off your record through receiving the sacraments like of Holy Communion. And that couldn't happen if you took your life, Uh, whereas almost any other sin you could get forgiveness from. Even if you murdered somebody else, you could get forgiveness for that because afterward you could go to a priest and have that taken off your record um because the the logic that was taught was that the way f- people get forgiven for their sins is you go to the sacrament of confession and forgiveness and then you can take the sacrament of communion again and that's how you get forgiveness and grace put on your credit or something like that again uh, now again i want to be fair are there ways you would nuance that characterization of the medieval view am i being too heavy-handed there
2: i don't think so and from my understanding And if I am wrong in this, someone please correct me. That is still the belief of the Catholic Church.
1: I think so. Like, I think that depending on where you are in the Catholic Church, like, geographically, I think that there's starting to be a better idea of mental health. But, like, there's still a lot of shame around
0: suicide.
1: Because I think the official teaching is still that it's it's the one unforgivable right. sin.
0: So and and again like let's unpack why in that theology it's unforgivable. It's not that suicide is seen as infinitely worse than robbing a bank or something like that, but mm-hmm. it's you can't go to the forgiveness dispensary afterwards. So yeah. right. if if we're gonna offer critique of this theology, and okay, I'll own it, I'm a Lutheran, I'm gonna offer critique of that theology, it's <laughs> it's I, I want to make sure that the critique is is aimed in the right direction. That it's not that in that that medieval and current Roman Catholic the uh, theology uh, it's not that suicide is seen as a worse sin like there's grades of sin yeah. and that's a grade a one and others are easy to forgive because they're like parking violations it's because the view of how people get forgiveness applied to their account so to speak is you have to after having committed the sin chronologically then be able to receive forgiveness which is dispensed through the official means of the priest, who is an agent of God's institution, the church, and then you can again partake of the sacrament, and that puts you in right standing again uh, in God's eyes. That's the the theology. Is that right?
2: I, I think you're right on. I think part, at least my understanding, and again I might be wrong on this, is it's not just that you can't go to the priest; like you can't even go to God right after the fact, too. So you right. know, even if you take the priestly part in the confessional booth and everything out of it
0: but it's that you can't ask for forgiveness to be forgiven then
1: yeah so so that's the part that i always kind of got confused on of like you can't even go to god to ask for forgiveness and and maybe this is just because i'm not catholic but like i was always under the impression that when you die like especially as a kid like that when you die you go before God and God would like give you a thumbs up or a thumbs down. (laughs) And so like, especially like, and I, and I'm definitely like in the mindset, like when I was a kid, um, like at that point, couldn't you just like go, Oh, I'm now dead. And therefore I'm not feeling all of the feelings I was just feeling five minutes ago when I was alive. Hmm. God, can you forgive me for the thing right. that I just did? Like, couldn't you ask then? But I, like, I don't know, I, I've never been I, dead. So I don't I, know. I, I, honest,
0: I honestly think this has to do with how much how much you imagine that God has a set of rules that God has to operate by. And I, I, mm-hmm. I don't mean that crudely, but like, I think sometimes folks' theologies end up sounding like that. That, well, God would like to, accept these are the rules that were, and they'll say God's holiness requires or God's righteous, or God something requires this, this, and this, that imagines that, there is a law that God has to obey, um, and to me, like that always gets a little hinky. I don't know a better word than like that. Just feels like I mean, that. That feels a little bit like there's a higher authority beyond God. In which case, no, that the higher authority is what is God. Um, and I guess I get nervous, yeah. That, but sometimes that's the thinking of that God has to operate. There's a system and there's rules, and even God follows those rules. And therefore, if you didn't go in by the rules, that's it. You're out, and then it, you end up with that sort of a. Yeah, sorry, it'll be too late for you then because it's just too late. That's just what the rules are.
2: Cause I this just popped in my head, with the Catholic theology of purgatory, in which you know, a person who is not a saint, you know, has to spend part of eternity burning off their sins. Mm-hmm. And and that's the easy lay person way to explain it right. without going into depth. Then why isn't purgatory available to those <laughs>
0: my guess is as well and again this for Protestants this is going to sound like man we've invented a whole lot of bylaws here um I I I and again I want to be fair so I I'm wide open to being corrected over here but I I do think in classic medieval theology which then has carried over into modern a lot of modern uh Catholic theology as well there's a distinction between venial sins and mortal sins and so there's some yeah. that are more easily uh gotten off the permanent record I mean again to be crude about it but and yeah and so mm-hmm. those things can be you can do time in purgatory on or have prayed off in masses or something like that. Uh, and then there are others that kill sanctifying grace and then require more extraordinary measures. And so this would be to die. So similarly, if someone had died committing murder and you didn't get a chance to have that forgiven, you would also be doomed forever because that was still on your permanent record uh, and you would not be eligible for purgatory or something like that. So again, like, that, that's, that's my, my educated guess about how that goes.
2: and And that's, Always been my understanding, and this is part of my big pushback against my supposed to be Catholic upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> is that whole idea that sin has different levels, and some right, are you right. know the venial versus the mortal, and and the fact that it seems again, this is from my understanding. I was baptized Catholic, but that's where my Catholic raising ended. So I don't know Catholic theology. Um, is that my understanding of grace and the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross is which were p- sins past, present, and future.
0: Right, and I, th- I
2: think that. So, is... how does this not cover?
0: <laughs> right. How is
2: that not part of the past, present, and
0: future? Right, right. Well, and again, like to me, like this is and maybe this is just our 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 common Protestantism here. But yeah, I think the the Reformation inheritance traditions that include yours and mine would have uh an emphasis on saying like what jesus affects at the cross is all of my sins are future sins from jesus vantage point you know in the first Mm -hmm. century i hadn't gotten around committing any of them um and so if jesus uh death and resurrection uh deals with or uh makes effective my forgiveness for uh everything in my future that even means things i haven't gotten around to and that would mean even if i took my life that yes jesus would have already dealt with that even if that is a sin like you know if if that's if that's what we're worried about that's not how mm-hmm. forgiveness works and it requires us seeing that from god's vantage point god is not bound by chronology like we are so yeah jesus death can be for all times and all places all sins everywhere um and I don't have to worry about, did I commit the sin after a certain point? It is probably also worth noting, though, and this is something that goes a little bit further back into earlier church history. There was a concern that if you committed sins after you were baptized, okay. that were grievous mm-hmm. sins, like that was really bad news. And so there was a time when people would wait until their deathbed to be baptized because there was a thought of, well, when you're baptized, all your sins get forgiven. But if you commit a sin afterwards, it's really grievous. Mm-hmm. Man, that's it. You're in touch. Um And so... Yeah, I, I, again, I, I think the the bigger question that I would raise, and I think this comes out of out of the the Lutheranism from which I I was grown, um, is is forgiveness mechanistically dispensed like out of a vending machine, or is again it relational? And if it is relational, it doesn't have to be chronological. That it is possible mm-hmm. to have forgiven somebody, uh, or to have reconciled with somebody before they have asked forgiveness. I would even suggest that sometimes it is that forgiveness that makes the asking for forgiveness possible it is the extension of grace that makes it possible for somebody to say i screwed up or i'm sorry or whatever um and if i know what that's like in even small glimpses in my own household where um it is the showing of love or forgiveness that allows my kids to come forward and say i'm sorry i didn't mean to say that mean thing or whatever Um, If I know what that's like, then I have to imagine, of course, God's forgiveness is not dependent on you have to say the words first.
2: Steve, A minute ago, you said something, and I don't know if you intended to say it this way, but it it stuck out to me. Basically, you you said, "If," paraphrasing, if suicide is a sin. Right. And it made me think. That's a good question to be asking.
0: Right. Well. And, because and
2: again, I, I i don't think anybody who gets to that point right. in their life right is thinking straight
0: right 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 and i i think this again so helpfully points out that yeah that we're dealing with with issues of, of mental health if i'm in a, in a really dark difficult place or i'm thinking that uh, ending my life is the best solution to things then clearly there there are other ways that I'm I'm needing deeper help and needing to be working through things so yeah I, I guess I think th- that that it, it raises the question that it, this isn't different than willfully robbing a bank or setting a fire or coveting mm-hmm. my neighbor's lawnmower or something like that th- this is a different kind of a, a scenario yeah
2: I mean yes you can make an argument I think for thou shall not kill you know and and suicide and and a sin in that sense. But I truly, and and I've said this for years, and I kind of got it from one of my supervisors when I did chaplaincy in seminary. You know, if somebody is to the point that they are suicidal, their mind, their brain chemistry is not functioning the way it's supposed to. And so any actions they take because of that are not fully under their control.
0: And I guess I even think too, like, cause I'm, I'm nervous about like, even, even that getting hammered back into uh there's, there are these rules that have to be followed. And if something isn't a sin, then you're off the hook. If it is a sin, then you're on the hook. And I, I, I get that. that Sometimes it's helpful to say is, does something count or not count as a sin? Um, but there's a piece of me that, that even in the bigger sense wants to say, is anything I do more powerful than God's, Love for me in Christ Jesus. And to me, like, this is where things land. Like, this is, this is why for me, um, when I think about. How does the Bible direct my faith on questions of suicide? I don't go to a particular story about Saul falling, falling on a sword or anything like that. I think about Romans 8 and where Paul mm-hmm. goes to this big, long list of what can separate us from the mm-hmm. love of God. And he rattles off you know, okay. everything he can think of to the point that it gets obnoxious to read it out loud in public because and th- not this and not this and not life and not death. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting to me that death is in his list, that death can't separate yeah. us. Um, and I, I remember I had a teacher in, uh, in college. Um, and this is one of the things that I have kept and not thrown away like chaff in this particular <laughs> professor. Uh, but one of the things he said in that list was like, if none of these things can separate me from God's love in Christ Jesus, then I couldn't possibly separate myself from God's love in Christ Jesus either. That like, e- even, even my willful mm-hmm. jerkiness, even my turning away, even my rejection of God doesn't get the last word. Um, and, uh, this, this to me comes back to that, uh, sentiment of Robert Farrar Capon. I might have mentioned a couple episodes back that w- from Capon's perspective, when I die, what I lose is my ability to hold on to my life, but I manifestly do not lose Jesus' ability to hold on to my life. Um, mm-hmm. and to me, that feels like a whole reframing that at some point, one way or another, I'm going to let go of my life. It might be my body that gives out. It might be, you know, the, at some point my heart stops. At some point my liver stops and my body lets go of my life. And maybe that what it is to die from suicide is that my mind lets go of my life. Or my, mm-hmm. you know, that it is another mm-hmm. way of letting go of my life. And again, I, I don't want this to sound like I'm uh, in favor of willy-nilly people taking their lives. But to say that it is a point at which I let go of my life. And there may be points where that is uh, especially tragic and painful and difficult. But it is not beyond God's ability to hold on to my life. So while absolutely folks who are going through that dark night of the soul absolutely it is part of our wider calling to help help them get the help and help them you know discover their beloved and their like you say, the world is better with you here, and at the same time to say, when I let go of my life, even if it was by my own willful letting go, I do not lose God's ability to hold on to me um and to me, then, that reframes all this conversation about suicide and is less about can God forgive it? Well, that's not how forgiveness works. It was never a, a chronologically time bound thing. God applies the forgiveness after you've said mm-hmm. the right I'm sorry words or gone to the right sacrament or said, you know, felt sorry enough for it. But instead, it was there already. Um, But that requires a, a change in our our theology, honestly, if we are still stuck in a. God meets out forgiveness when, after you commit the bad action, then you say you're sorry, and you have to mean it well enough, and you have to say it thoroughly enough, or something like that, that God's forgiveness is there even when we didn't say sorry at all, Um, and God's forgiveness is there even when we say sorry poorly. I might mention then real quick, and you might both know this as well, but I'm not sure, it's not as widely known in the wider public, um that um the collectively, s- folks who are survivors of or family members of those who've been touched by suicide have taken as a symbol the semicolon. Um mm-hmm. And you might see people who have a semicolon uh, necklace or tattoo or something like that. And that there's a reason for it. At first, I just thought like there was all these people who had grammar fetishes. Um But a semicolon is a piece of punctuation that is where a sentence could have ended, but did not. Um, and there's something I find really beautiful about the use of that as mm-hmm. an image as a symbol of saying like, it could have ended here and it didn't. Um, and I guess I even want to say, uh, that even for folks who have lost people whom they have loved who died from suicide, that part of our hope in a God whose love cannot be separated from us is that even, even for those who have died, that we are promised reunion as well. So I will, I will go out on the limb here and say, I'm willing to bet that Dante was wrong. Um, and Mm -hmm. that, um. That it is not this unforgivable thing that automatically routes you to this terrible place, but rather, even when we let go of our lives by our own choosing, by whatever reasons we thought it was uh, the only option we had, God does not let go of our lives in those places. And so there's still hope, even Mm -hmm. in the midst of times where people take their own lives.
1: Beautifully said.
0: Indeed. If If you've made it this far... Thanks for being with us for a difficult, but uh, we hope meaningful and useful conversation. Join us next time here on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all.
2: 18- plus.